My name is Noah. Hi, I'm Logan. Have you ever jumped off a diving board? No. No. Why not? Because I might drown. Well, why did you come here and decide to do this today? Because I want to face my fears and see how brave I can be. Are you ready to do this? Yeah! I'm ready. Do you feel ready? Yes. I can do this. I can do this. I remember the first time I jumped off a diving board. It was at Hartwell Park, and I had just finished my summer allotment of swim lessons. Anyone else babysat by the public park swimming pool at swim lessons? And that was my babysitter for the summer. I finished all of the lessons. I went through all of it all summer. There's just one last level to finish. That was jumping off the diving board in the deep end. 12 feet deep. To a little boy, that was like the deep fathoms of the ocean, 12 feet deep. I remember I had swam across that pool hundreds of times by the end of the summer, but for whatever reason, I remember when it was time for us to walk to the diving board, I walked up those two steps feeling like it was 20. And I walked across the diving board, and the farther out I got, the more it shook. I'm not sure if it was the diving board or me. And I got to the end of the diving board and I looked down to the bottom of the depths of the deep end and I froze. All of a sudden, the doubts of what I sink, the questions of can I truly swim across the pool, and all of a sudden, all of the confidence that I had gained after the summer of the swim lessons was infinitely lost. When I was getting ready to jump. Finally, a lifeguard jumped in the water, started treading water underneath the diving board, reached her arms up. She said, Brian, just jump. And I was thinking this week, I, I think that's really the motivation of Paul writing this letter to the church of Ephesus. For his hope is to write a letter to a great church just like you filled with great people who love Jesus. And Paul doesn't have anything negative to say about them, but he does have one hope and one desire, that they would understand the depth and power of their Christian identity, that God would open their eyes that they might see something that they don't see themselves. See, I wonder if churches today are filled with people who know that God has called them to something. But when it comes time to jump in and live a life focused and dedicated to Christ, we get worried, we get nervous, we get scared and we freeze. And Paul's church, to the church of Ephesus and the church of today, 
It's a jump. He opened his letter making sure that we all understood our Christian identity. And he said, you are saints. Look at, uh, look at what he said. Chapter 1, verse 1. He said, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm writing this. To people who are faithful to Jesus. You're saints. You're people set apart as instruments of glory for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Not only are you saints, Paul would go on in verse 3 and say that you have been given every spiritual blessing under heaven. Look what he said. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That term blessed, if you remember, it lift to a position of honor and praise. God says, I lift up the name of God because God lifted each one of us up. And look to what extent he blessed us with every spiritual blessing under heaven. God has not held back. And then after he called us saints and helped us understand that we've been blessed with so much, Paul then wraps up with this prayer. He says, I pray. Again, he's writing this letter to a great church just like you. To good people who love Jesus just like you. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you'd get it someday. As if to say, you're still missing something. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, that you would, and you would wake up every morning and anticipate and be excited about what God is going to do in your life and through it. I pray that you'll finally get what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. Right? It's not about your inheritance, it's about his I pray that someday you'll get it, that you get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. As the person, it's not our kingdom, God. Your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Paul says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you get it, that you have this aha moment, that you would understand what is the surprising greatness of his power towards us who believe. Man, that you wake up with this confidence that if God is for you, who can be against you? Paul says, I pray someday that you see your identity in Christ as God does. Then he goes into chapter two. See, I think after chapter two, after Paul declares that you're saints and helps you understand all the blessings, and he says, I pray that you get it, he still thinks many of us are standing at the edge of the diving board, worried to jump in, filled with questions of what if I'm not good enough? What if God hasn't fully completed something in my life? What if I finally jump and I do drown? What if I stick my neck out for God and somehow he doesn't come through? And we have these questions and these doubts. And so Paul goes into chapter 2. Many believing chapter 2 is the most powerful portion of the book of Ephesians. He goes into chapter 2 to help you understand, man, if you really want to understand the greatness of your identity, the power of that comes with your identity in Christ. You need to understand two things that Jesus did for you. He changed the very condition of your soul. And he elevated the very position of your life. He not only changed the condition of your soul, but he has elevated the position of your life. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to share Ephesians 2 with you. 
Ephesians chapter 2, for those of you who like to geek out in Scripture, you're going to love this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, because Paul goes and he begins to build a chart. He says, if you want to understand the greatness of your identity, the first thing you need to do is understand who you were before Jesus. If you want to understand the greatness about what God has done and who he's created you to be now, you have to understand and remember who you were. And that's where he begins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. A term dead means to be useless in life, a corpse, completely lifeless. Before Jesus, you were already caught, convicted, and sentenced to death. All you were doing is living out your days, waiting for the reality of your sentence to come due for your life. Paul says, let's remember, and Paul isn't going to pull any punches. He's not trying to be nice to you. He's trying to make sure you understand the depth of who you were. It says, you were dead, you were doomed, you were lifeless, you were nothing. Not only were you dead, he said, you're aligned with Satan. You know that. Look what he says, verse 2, he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says, not only were you dead, he said, you walked, that term walked means to behave, to live, to occupy all of your time, to have as the basis for your life. He says, you lived, you had the basis of your life according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You know who that is? The prince of the power of the air. And that in the Greek, that means the one who has dominion over our existence, the one who has dominion over our culture, our world, and that's talking about Satan. Let me show you something. Put your thumb in Ephesians if you have a moment. You know, I guess if you don't, still would you mind? <laughs> flip over, humor me. Ephesians, flip over to the left a little bit to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Third Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is a portion of scripture that helps us understand the historical time where Jesus was tempted by Satan. And I want to show one element of that temptation. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 5, says this, he led him up, he meaning Jesus, or Satan, Satan led him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And look what the devil says, verse 6. And the devil said to him, the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory. Look at this. For it has been handed over to me. So Satan takes Jesus outside of time and shows him all of the dominion that Satan says, look, it's been given to me. I've been given dominion over this. This world, this is mine. You want to know why things are so kooky? It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's Satan. That's why our culture's a mess. This is his domain. And he comes and says, I will give you all of this domain, all of this glory. It's been handed to me. I will give it to you. Jesus, all you have to do is worship me. Submit your life to men. If you know the end of the story, obviously Jesus doesn't do that and, uh, and defeats Satan. 
But Paul says, you know what? Before Jesus changed your life, you were dead. You were doomed. You were caught, convicted. You were sentenced to die. All you're doing is living out your days, waiting for the sentence to come due. And then you were aligned with Satan. Look what he says. He says, you were walking, you were living. The basis of your life was according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sense of disobedience. That term working, that term means he is bringing about his plan, instigating his desires, caring about his designs for life. And you were aligned, whether actively or passively, but before Jesus, you were a part of Satan's plan. You were aligned with him. That's why Paul reminds us at the end of Ephesians, we'll get to it later, but let me give you a snapshot. Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. Man, we get distracted. We get distracted by California government, civic governments. We get distracted by unions and we get distracted by authorities here. Man, Paul said, that's not your battle. Man, before Christ, you were doomed. You were dead. You were just living a life waiting for your sentence to come due. You were aligned with Satan, either actively or passively. But make no mistake, you were a part of his plan. You were a part of his strategy. He continues... Not only were you dead and aligned with Satan, but you lived in the flesh. Look how he describes it. Verse 3, among them, you too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That term lust means to describe the deep desires of your life, the longings of your heart, everything you wanted and everything you craved. And Paul says, you lived for those things. Those lusts were the rudders of your life. They were the driving force of your existence. And when it came to those lusts, look what he says. You indulged them. You didn't say no. You said yes as often as you could. You directed your life after those things. Man, don't we still see that in life? Don't we still see people doing that? I mean, right now, look at our political system. People will do anything to maintain power to the point you have both parties pointing across the aisles, accusing the other side of doing illegal activities in order to maintain power. And majority of us are like, well, I don't trust either side. I mean, you have people who would jeopardize their entire family just for wealth just for the chance of making more money. Man, people say, or the Bible says people will shipwreck their very faith out of a pursuit of money. Man, men and now women, they will risk their entire marriage and all of their family over one fling on one night. Paul says, you got to remember who you were. And again, Paul's not pulling any punches. He's saying, if you want to understand the greatness of your identity today, let's remember who you were. You were doomed. You were dead. You were buried. All you were doing was waiting for the sentence to come due. You were aligned with Satan. And the entire purpose of your existence was to meet your needs, your desires. Everything was about you. But wait, there's more. End of verse 3 says, And you were by nature children of wrath, 
even as the rest. Children of wrath, phrase describes the offspring of punishment, the descendants who are set to inherit the very judgment of God. Paul says, you want to understand the greatness of your identity as a Christian today? Let's take a moment and remember who you were. You were doomed. You were dead. You were aligned with Satan. The entire rudder of your life was driven by your lusts and by your needs and your desires. And you did everything you could to scratch that itch to the point where now everything that you inherit, it's judgment. When it's all said and done, you are going to get the very judgment of God. That's who you were. But look how verse 4 starts. My favorite word, but. My favorite word, as often as you see it, circle it. I do because those terms are there to draw our attention. We're shifting gears. We're making a turn. There's a change coming. Man, you were doomed. You were lost. You were dead, aligned with Satan, lived in the flesh, children of wrath. But my second favorite word in all of Scripture, I feel guilty saying it. My second favorite word is God. Favorite phrase, but God. Man, everything was lost. You were doomed. You were buried. You were just a dead man walking but God. Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. First thing I want you to notice, it was nothing that you did here, right? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for you, he made us alive together. That term alive means to be resurrected, resurrected together with Jesus, to made alive again, to be raised from the dead. Paul says, listen, that's who you were before Christ. But because of God's love, you didn't buy it, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. It's God's love, his mercy, it's all in his power. In fact, he raised you up from the dead. He did it. He made you alive. He resurrected you from the dead. You might think, like, well, what's that look like? Like, how does that happen? So let me show you another passage. Put your thumb again in Ephesians. And if you would, please flip over a couple books to the left to the book of Romans. Again, you might be wondering, Brian, sometimes you put stuff on the screen. Sometimes you show us things in the Bible. Why is that? Um, I try to go to the Bible as often as we can so that you know where stuff is. If you're like me, it's hard to remember references. It's hard to remember, wait, I know Paul wrote that. It's somewhere in Romans, but I can't remember when. So I just, but I know where it is in my Bible. It's Romans somewhere in the start. It's on the right-hand side, down in the corner. I know I marked it with a star. So I want you to be able to go back to these passages during times in your life where like, wait, how am I resurrected from the dead? Romans chapter 6, verse 3, look what he says. Paul says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have also been baptized into his death? Or for we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. 
And Paul says, you want to know, like, baptism, when we practice baptism as a church, it's not only symbolic. It's not only symbolic to where we can proclaim our allegiance to Christ, but we can experience We can experience that whole aspect of going in. When you go into the water, you go in dead to sin. You go in aligned with Satan. You go in living your life focused and based on your desires, your whims, your understandings. You go in the water as a child of wrath. You are doomed, but man, when you come out, you're a new creation. You are changed. You are alive. You are no longer dead. You are alive. You have been raised up. I want to tell you, sometimes people say baptism is just symbolic. It, it, it is. It doesn't contribute to your salvation, but there is a spiritual component to it. And when people come out of the water baptized, you often see emotion. You know why? Because there's something when you experience on the outside, what Jesus has already accomplished on the inside. There's something emotional and powerful designed in that moment. That's why we're committed. We have the baptismal up here. Man, you want to get baptized? Let's do it. Because it's not only a step of obedience to the Lord, but it is something God has blessed us with that opportunity. If you have not been baptized and you're a believer of Christ, I want to continue to give you that opportunity. In fact, October 15th, we have a couple baptisms scheduled. We can probably fit you in. October 29th, we have baptism scheduled. We'd love to include you in that. You want to be baptized? Let me know. Just come let me know. Use a comment card. Put your name, your phone number. Say baptism on it. Someone will reach out to you this week. Man, we'd love for you to do that. It's not only a step of obedience, but allows you to experience on the outside that new identity that through the grace and mercy of Christ, he's declared you alive. New creation. Let's get back to Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy, not only made us alive together with Christ. Look at verse 6. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Not only are you alive, but you are no longer aligned with Satan. You're seated with Christ. You have a reserved seat right next to Jesus, not in the nosebleed section, down at the floor level with Jesus. Those of you, I know we have a lot of new people. You may not know me uh, super well, but you'll know this soon about me. When I travel, I'm a nervous traveler. Like I love getting to places where I can partner with our international ministry partners, but getting there, I hate it. And so there are certain accommodations that I just need for my own sanity. Number one, I need a guaranteed seat. I want to know where on the plane I'm sitting. I don't want to have to get in a queue at Southwest and just wait in line and do like a cattle call and race for the one exit row chair that's left. I just want to know that there's a seat where I can put my legs out. I don't fold up like some of you. Like, I need a seat that I know I have leg room. I need a seat that knows that if I sit up straight, I won't bang my head on that little compartment above. Like, I just need, I just need a guaranteed seat. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. It's just, I just ask our travel agent, please have mercy on me. Please give me a guaranteed seat. You know what else I need? I, I, I need a bed. 
Wherever I go, I can go through all sorts of crazy places, all sorts of cultures. Here's what I need. I need to know that when it's all said and done, there's a bed that I fit. I'm fine sleeping corner to corner, but European beds are shorter than our beds. Have you ever noticed that? Like, the world isn't built for me. Like, I need a guaranteed bed that I know when I go, if I put my pillow at one corner and my feet at the other corner, that I'll fit, kind of. Like, I just need that in my life. And the same thing for you as Christians. Paul said, this is a guarantee for you. Man, no longer, you're not aligned with Satan. You are seated. You are walked down through the crowd and seated right there on the floor level where Jesus Christ sits. You have a reserved seat right next to him. You don't have to worry that they're not ready for you. It's reserved. It's guaranteed. Not only are you no longer aligned with Satan because of Jesus, you're seated with Christ. But look what Paul says next. Verse 8, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would simply walk in them. There's two powerful truths, two powerful changes to who you are. Number one, you're created for good works. The term created means handcrafted, built intentionally by God for something. You know that. You are handcrafted by God for something. And that simply is good works. Good works, generous, useful, noble deeds. I want to be clear here. You weren't saved by works. You were saved by grace, right? That's what it says before. You're saved by grace. Through faith, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Otherwise, we'd take credit for it. But you were handcrafted by God for something, for good works. You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved for them. Good works, noble, generous, useful deeds of God. And you... They're no longer living in the flesh. Your desires, your understandings, your longings in your heart, man, that's not the rudder of your life anymore. Your rudder of your life is to be a, a reflection of God's glory, an instrument of who God is in building his kingdom on earth. Again, not because you deserved that's something God gave you, but second, you're no longer children of wrath. Bible says you're his workmanship. That term workmanship, you're his masterpiece. Man, because of the work of Christ, God looks at you. He says, man, that's good. You know, so often when I look in the mirror, I don't see what's good in me. I see what's bad in me. How about you? I look in the mirror. I look at my expanding waistline, my receding hairline. I look at the failures of my past, the fears of my future, man, I see all of that. But here's the beauty, man, before Christ, when you looked at yourself, you knew you were doomed. All of your failures, you were buried in that guilt and in that shame. But because of Christ, you're a masterpiece of God. God looks at you and says, man, I love that. That's good because of the grace of God. I love how Paul summarizes it in 2 Corinthians. I shared it with you last week, but I think it's going to have to be a recurring reminder for you. 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. 
The old things passed away. Behold, surprise, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He continues, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Man, just in those three verses, Paul says, not only are you a new creation, you're a new creation for a purpose. I mean, you have the ministry of reconciliation, of helping people find freedom in Christ Jesus. That is your purpose. That is your call. First thing Paul says, if you want to truly understand your identity, if you want to jump into this life of power and purpose, you have to understand something. That you have a complete change in your condition. You are no longer a weakened vessel of sin. You are an empowered instrument of Jesus Christ. Handcrafted to do works in a world that will bring glory to God. It doesn't matter if you live in kooky California or godly Texas, man, either one. Both are under the dominion of Satan today. And both have people of God destined, created, handcrafted. That God looks in the midst of all of their brokenness and says, man, I love who you are. And I'm going to do great things in you and through you. Paul says, if you want to embrace this identity in Christ, you need to understand who you were. And who you are in that Christ Jesus changed your condition. Paul's not done. So often we finish after verse 10. The second half of verse, uh, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 is often known as the forgotten, forgotten half of Ephesians 2. We finish in verse 10. It's like, yes, we love that God changed our condition, but if you stop there, you miss an important part. Through the work of Jesus Christ, your condition isn't only changed, but your position in life is changed as well. Not just the condition of your soul, but the position of your life. Let's keep going. Look at verse, and and by the way, We're going to be flying through this because pastor really should have stopped preaching after verse 10, but I was very adventurous when I blocked this out. So we're going to have to fly through the next half. Those of you who are looking at your watches, relax. We're going to get this done. Watch this. Verse 11, therefore, therefore, because of the change in your condition, like there was something that happened because of the change in your condition that Jesus did, because you're no longer dead and broken and aligned with Satan, because you are alive and seated with Christ, therefore, remember, you formerly, you Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember Look how he describes who you were. Remember, look at how he describes your position. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Four things he says. Here's your position before Christ. Number one, you were separated. You're without Jesus, cut off from him, having nowhere to, no way to get him on your own. You had no chance of a relationship with Jesus. You were separated from him, but you're also excluded. 
from the promise of his blessings. Paul's going back to, he says, remember God's promises were for the nation of Israel. Like his promise of blessings were for Israel and they were supposed to be a blessing to the other nations, but they weren't. In fact, the people of Israel oftentimes viewed you, the Gentile, as unclean. And if they came in contact with you, then they were unclean and then they'd have to go to the temple and pay this exorbitant amount to become ceremonially clean again. And as a result, they avoided you. Not only avoided you, they cast you out. Like they didn't want anything to do with you. You were excluded. Man, if you wanted to be any part of the promise of God, you had no shot. He said, you're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants. There is this division. And he goes on, he says, you had no hope. This is your position, separated from God, excluded from his community. You had no hope. There was no exception to this position. There is nothing that you could do. You couldn't buy your way in. You couldn't earn your way in. You're done. There's no hope for you. And you ended up without God. Now, a Gentile back then, they had some form of God, didn't they? They always worshiped something, someone from Venus or something from Mars. They would do something. And we look at back then, we say, oh, those foolish Gentiles. Don't people still have idols? Who do we put our trust in instead of God? The economy? Our retirement? Finances? About relationships? Man, if I just find the right person, I'll be happy, I'll be content. I mean, let's be honest, we're heading into election year. That's when Christians just tend to lose their minds. Don't we kind of have a little bit of an idol in politics? Like, yes, we know God's in control, but it also helps if our party's in charge. Well, look at the first word of verse 13. You see it? Circle it if you're not against that. But just when you were hopeless, just when your position, you were cut off, separated, excluded, no hope without God. You see what Paul's doing? This is who you were, but now in Christ Jesus. Again, you didn't do it. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You didn't achieve it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That phrase, brought near, your position was changed and you were picked up and carried to a new position. This wasn't in your power. This wasn't in your works. The blood of Jesus Christ literally picked you up and brought you near. Before, you were separated. But because of Christ Jesus, you were brought near Not only that, look at this. Verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Here's what it's talking about. Man, there was this huge division between Jew and Gentile. Because of Jesus, 
Everything's been reconciled. It's been brought together into one relationship. There's harmony. Man, even today, don't we separate ourselves? Chino, Chino Hills, Montclair, Pomona, San Bernardino, LA, Orange County. I still keep my 714 area code just as a reminder that I lived in Orange County one day. We separate ourselves based on economic status. We separate ourselves based on people who can afford electric cars versus those who are forced to pay $6 a gallon for their internal combustion cars. We separate ourselves based on color, culture, language, political affiliation. Man, we separate ourselves all over the place. But here's the power, the work of Christ here in his house. We're all brought together in harmony. Man, this ought to be the place where we get a little piece of heaven where every color, every tribe, every language can come together, all of us needing the same thing from Christ, all of us receiving the same thing from Christ, and all of us empowered to be about the same thing through Christ. There is nowhere else in culture, nowhere else in life where people who are as diverse as we are can come together into one body. Man, the church, the only other place that comes close is marriage. Two institutions designed by God to be a reflection of his glory and his power. Man, because of Christ, your position, you weren't just brought near. You were reconciled, not just to God, but to each other. Man, you are a family. Continues, look at 17. He came and preached peace. To you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Peace, that term peace, it's more than just the absence of hostility, but confidence in a complete relationship together. Man, this is a place, we're going to get into it later in Ephesians. This is a place where we should do more than just fake grin at each other. You have peace with God and you have peace together. It's a confidence in receiving mercy and grace and love. Like this ought to be the place. This ought to be the safest place possible on earth because of the peace we have with Christ. Last thing, you are without God in your position. Look how he finishes verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. That term access, man, we have a map. We have the key. We can have... We can get to God whenever we want. Before you were without God, your best shot was to find one of his chosen people that you can confess your heart to, and then that guy once a year would go and talk to God about you. Not now. You have direct access. You have the key. You can go to God whenever you want. I love how Hebrews describes it. Hebrews 4, he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, look at this, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Man, let us have access to the throne of God and confidence. Another word for confidence boldness. 
Like, just go. You don't need permission. You don't need an appointment. Just go. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, before your position, you were cut off from God, excluded with no hope now because of Christ. Not yourself, not your works, not your money, not your position in life, but strictly because of the work of Jesus Christ. You're brought near. You have access to God. Look how Paul summarizes this section. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer a weakened vessel of sin. You're fellow citizens with the saints. Man, there's no hierarchy here. We're all saints. We're all broken people that have been reconciled to God through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ You're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Paul finishes up saying, man, you're a great church, Ephesus. And they were church of Ephesus was one of the best, filled with great people who love Jesus just like you. But Paul said, there is so much more. There is so much more that God wants to do in you and through you. But you need to jump. You need to have confidence in what Christ Jesus is doing in your life, what he has already done And anytime you have questions and doubts about what God may still want to do, you remember everything he's done. He's changed your whole condition. He has changed your position. What more can he do in your life and through it? Just jump. The thing I loved about that video I started with is after those kids went through and jumped off the diving board for the first time. Something changed in their lives. Watch the end of the video. How was that? It was good. (laughs) I felt like I was going to drown, but that floaties actually saved me. Okay, that was pretty cool. I never did it before until today, and I should do it a lot more. So now what are you going to do? I'm going to do camera. This is my favorite part right here. He just throws off the life vest. strong. really proud of me. You know what I love about her testimony at the end is I think that's a great description of many of us. We're here 
to conquer our fear without our daddy, right? We know he's going to come back. We hope he's proud. Purpose of Paul's letter. And here is masterpiece. Paul, God is not just proud. He's excited about what more he can do in you and through you if you would just simply jump. Paul's convinced if you will just jump, something in you is going to change. I was reminded, I was talking to someone after first service. Man, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be rich and comfortable and respected. And I had this call of God in the back of my head to be a pastor. And man, I just really didn't want to do that. And I stayed at the end of the diving board of my life for years. Until one day, God just did something in my soul and I jumped. I can't imagine what my life would be if I never came here. God has done so much in my life through you. And I'm a completely changed person because of Jesus and because of you. Man, what is one area? Where is one area you need to jump? Some of you might say, Brian... I haven't given my life to Christ yet. I've been nervous about it. I've been hearing you. I've been talking about it. I know you've given us opportunity. I'm still separated from God. I'm still aligned with Satan. I'm still buried in my trespasses. I am still fearful in my shame. And I'm lost and I'm worried that someday people will find out all of my brokenness. Man, just jump. This is your opportunity. Paul says, you have no idea what God will do in your condition and position in life, just jump. If you are here today and have not given your life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to jump. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to raise your hand. This is between you and the Lord. But I'd love to challenge you. I think there's people here today who are just staring down at the diving board and Jesus is down there saying, just jump. I gotcha. I suspect most of you say, Brian, I'm already saved. I'm already a good person who loves Jesus. I'm a part of a good church because I believe in what God's doing. But here's my challenge for you. See, I think all Christians hold back in something. We hold back in our generosity. We hold back in our confidence. We hold back in proclaiming the gospel of Christ. We hold back in courage of what we believe God can do in our hearts, in our homes. We hold back and we look forward in our future with fear instead of hope. My encouragement, my challenge to you. See, Paul wrote to another great church filled with great people and he said, there's more. You need to have confidence in who you are in Christ and jump. What's in one area in your life that you've been holding back as a Christian? One area you can jump in confidence that God will do even greater things in your life and through you. You pray with me. Jesus, again, we're here. God, many of us, because we do believe in your power, we do believe in your mercy and love that unites all of us together. But God, we also confess to you that there's aspects of our Christian life where we're timid. We hold back out of worry that maybe you won't accomplish in us what you said you would or worried that 
you wouldn't have the impact on our marriage that you said you would or questioning that you could even use someone like us for your glory. And so God, out of doubts of our own brokenness, out of fear of our own shame and failure, God, we remain silent in a world and a culture that you placed us to be brilliant and confident and an instrument of yours to transform lives, to reconcile them to you. So God, I pray for so many here, God, that you would give them one area in their life where they're to jump. God, one name that they can share their faith with and write on the board. God, one one area they can have hope. God, one relationship that they're going to commit to restore. God, one person that they're going to be bold enough to forgive. God, one person, one thing. God, I also believe there's people here online in our sanctuary, God, who are still waiting, who are at the end of the diving board that have yet to jump into the freedom that comes with the relationship with you. So God, I pray for those people, God, open their eyes and allow them to see you as Paul did and as I do. God, may you give them courage and humility, God, that they would confess their brokenness and need for you. God, in the quietness of their heart, we give them what they need, God, that they can just confess to you that they need your forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus, as they bring that to you, as they confess that to you, Jesus, will you be faithful to do as you've promised? May you not only forgive them, declare them righteous, and form them into a saint immediately, but God, may you fill them with your spirit and lead them and guide them in the paths of their life for your name's sake. God, may you give them confidence in who they are in you. May you give them peace in their heart, a peace that's beyond comprehension, a joy that's overflowing. God, as they receive your spirit into their life, may you change their condition and their position and bring you glory in their life. God, as a church, we ask that you just continue to unite us more and more together. God, take our broken lives, take our humble church, continue to transform us into a body that more brilliantly reflects your glory. God, not for our good, not for our name, but for your good and for your name. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.